the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stoniker. Thankful to have you with us today. And culturally, something big happened uh, in the last couple of weeks, and we'll be talking about this, I'm sure, for the next several weeks, probably even months. But Twitter, something that uh, on this show we like to beat up on as often as possible because it has become such a cesspool uh, in so many ways and uh, overly regulated, overly censored. Something big happened this week. Elon Musk uh, had an offer to buy the platform, finally approved by the board. And there are uh, certainly some other things that need to happen, a a long process that needs to take place. But the big question I think all of us are asking is, What does this mean? What does it mean for not only the Twitter platform? What does this mean for other social media platforms? What does this mean for the First Amendment? Again, if you listen to this show, you know that often we have guests on who can help us break down an understanding of how the First Amendment applies on some of these technology platforms. And one of those guests over the last uh, several months has been uh, someone that I'm really very thankful for as it relates to the First Amendment and protecting the First Amendment. He's been on the front lines of this for uh, some time. Ron Coleman has been with us and is back with us today. Very honored to have him come on and help us understand what is happening right now. Please enjoy this conversation with my guest, Ron Coleman. It is great to have back on with us today, Ron Coleman. For those of you that have not watched our previous interview together, you need to go and check that out. But Ron is an American lawyer and journalist who is an expert on the First Amendment and intellectual property rights, especially pertaining to the Internet. So I'm sure you can guess why we asked Ron to come on and talk to us today. He is the host of the Coleman Nation podcast. Thank you, Ron, for coming back on with us today. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Absolutely. So the world is always crazy. But it's a little crazier this week than normal. <laughs> normal, Definitely as it relates to the First Amendment and the Internet. Um, let's just jump in. Can you talk about this Twitter thing with Elon Musk, how it happened, and maybe you know why it's important that it's happening right now? You know, I don't know how it happened. Uh, Elon Musk hardly ever ca- returns my calls these days. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know when he started thinking about this, but evidently at some point in the last few months, his attention started to be pulled in the direction of what was going on with censorship and, well, censorship and all its varieties on Twitter. He's a Twitter user. He's a guy who is used to getting things done, and he was able to see that a lot of people who might be his supporters, who might think along the same lines as as he does, were having trouble expressing themselves. He started probing, and he started buying stock. He has yeah. as close to all the money in the world as anyone right. possibly can, 
And that, you know, he doesn't have, <laughs> I mean, he had that much money. It's Tony Stark all the way. Sure, you know? I mean, sure. What do you do? You have to become Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, have right. To save, you have to save humanity. Right. <clears throat> and uh, he started out uh, with a 10 or 11% or 9, 10, 11% share, which he had bought rather quietly. Then he was invited to join the Twitter board and figured out without um, – didn't take uh, – a rocket scientist is to figure this out. The reason he was invited to join the board was so that he would enter into an agreement not to acquire more stock or otherwise mm. try to obtain more control of the company. And that's not the kind of thing he likes. <laughs> So he he uh, said, you know, I think um, I'm fine with this board stuff. Yeah. Let me instead buy the whole stinking company. Yeah. During the next week or so, the Twitter board met and voted not to present the offer to its shareholders, which the board has the prerogative technically to do, and also to fold into the structure of the company, something called a poison pill. And a poison pill is one of any number of devices that <clears throat> basically penalizes a, an, a, a hostile acquirer for making the acquisition. And the problem that a lot of people very quickly jumped on was that it was hard to understand the basis on which the board, whose obligation is to the shareholders, yeah. <clears throat> was arguing against accepting what was a very high premium over the price for which the stock was trading at the time in order to enrich them. So I imagine that after their initial poison pill maneuver, which I suppose bought them some psychological time and a few days to think things over, it appears to me, looking from the outside, that the legal team advising the Twitter board members said, we're going to get killed on this. Yeah, We're violating our fiduciary duty to maximize mm -hmm. shareholder value here. We have to give up the company because someone is offering our shareholders the opportunity to do that. So they were, you know, they, they actually ended up accepting the offer. Now it has to actually be, you know, it has to actually happen. It has to be approved by regulators because it's a public company, which is essentially being taken private, but it has caused tremendous wailing and gnashing of teeth, yes. gnashing of teeth <laughs> um, in in safe spaces all over the internet and mm. in San Francisco yep. and in New York. And it is a wonder to behold. It is a true pleasure. Um, it is amazing. You know, and of course, the, the way you always paint this stuff, if you're <clears throat> an adversary of free speech is the Nazis are coming back. Yeah, right. Uh, it's, you know, I remember when Twitter was much less moderated. I've been on Twitter since 2009. And I, I couldn't even 
get a, a cup of coffee. I mean, nobody noticed me for a very, very long time. But when I finally started attracting a little bit of attention on Twitter, <clears throat> I remember being absolutely astonished at the anti-Semitic content that was directed mm, my way. That's interesting, yeah. Nazis have a way, mm. and they're not really Nazis, obviously. None of these people ever right. uh, you know, went into battle against the Soviet Union. These are, these are basement Nazis. These are, these are <laughs> punks, show-offs. They're almost all anonymous, or uh, those who are not anonymous are certified lunatics. But it makes them feel very good to find somebody who is conspicuously Jewish as I am and do what seems to them like bullying from behind the wall of anonymity. It was ugly. And I would get these concentration camp and crematoria, um, you know, images. Uh, it, it was ugly. And although Twitter has a very long way to go and although Twitter um, tolerates a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism still, it's nothing like what it was seven, eight yep. years ago. I can't imagine anyone running Twitter, including a an intelligent, highly intelligent businessman like Elon Musk, wants to return to those days. There's no reason he would. But the idea that, that political opinions or questioning government narratives about things like elections or vaccinations or anything is misinformation um, is preposterous and he recognizes that and I have asked for a very long time and I've, and I've had discussions with a couple of people who have studied this how is it in the business interest of Twitter to do this the, you know there, to, content and controversy is what dr brings people to Twitter yeah. and if you yeah. homogenize the information doesn't that make it less interesting and less attractive? And, and it also means that before I start making an investment in a Twitter presence, I have to ask myself, am I going to build myself up as so many people that I know that I have represented, build a following up to hundreds of thousands of people, and then Twitter on a, on a complete whim or on a political mission yeah. just takes it away from me and I have no recourse? That didn't make good business sense. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that Elon Musk realizes that the incent incentivizing people, even with, with radical views, as long as they don't harass other people or cause harm or danger or threaten other people, is almost inevitably going to be good, inevitably going to be good business for Twitter. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code 
SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com, and use the promo code SITREP. When we look at, this is a discussion we've had a lot here, is when we look at what Elon Musk is doing, that's a lot of money. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, even if you're Elon Musk, and it's a lot of trouble and it's a lot of attention. I I know you can't know this, but as you have observed, what would you (laughs) suggest or uh, posit would be his actual motivation? I I mean, it'd be nice to believe that he just loves America and he loves the First Amendment and he loves free speech. Um, He's an entrepreneur and he's entrepreneured. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. Uh, a lot of things. What's his motivation now beyond trying to clean up what is broken? A lot of people, some people say everyone wants to have influence in the world. Mm. I know I do. I yeah. know people who I think really don't. But the people, I mean, you and I wouldn't be podcasters if we didn't sure. want to have influence and sure. be part of the conversation. So if you're the richest man in the world, and you win, you know, you, you launch some spaceships, which is pretty cool. <clears throat> and you build a car, which isn't really all that good, yeah. but which is, <laughs> but, but, but which people are fascinated by sure. and intrigued by. And you've, you know, it has, there'll always, there will always be a Wikipedia or, or its neutral future equivalent, uh, you know, entry for Tesla, uh, um, you know, motors. But you want to leave a mark, and you're a young guy too. Yeah, you want to leave a mark on the world. You want to have influence. You don't even have to, you know, whether you're um, idealistic or not. If you just, if you just want world op, global control, uh, you know, you want to remake the world, or you want to have an impact on the world in your vision, and that makes him no different from George Soros mm. or. Um, any number of really rich people who want to do something in the world that will leave them with an impact. So someone, you know, I don't know how much he likes Twitter. And how, it could very well be that in the last X number of months, he's realized how powerful Twitter actually is. And people tend to underestimate how powerful Twitter is because they think, it's only a very, really actually a small percentage of people in the United States, much less the world, use it. And so many people are lurkers. But in fact, everyone who, it, it is the predominant public square. Everyone who is in journalism is there. Everyone who's in politics is there. And when I say they are there, they're, they are there or their people are there. Right. It's where the conversation takes place. Right. So... And, and I am all in favor of alternative platforms. I'm a, a, um, an influencer, uh, you know, a, a contractual influencer for CloudHub, which is a, tr- a tremendous yeah. um, platform, which has a lot of interesting, cool things going on there. But it's never going to be the definitive place the way Twitter is. So if you want to control the world, yeah. uh, short of <clears throat> becoming the head of the China Communist Party, this would be the most influential way to do it. So if you're if you're ego, 
you know, you had a big ego and you're achievement driven and you're a visionary and you realize something's going on that probably should be fixed and I can fix it and I can have some fun with it and I can maybe make the world a better place. I mean, everyone except the most really crooked scum thinks that whatever they're doing makes the world a better place unless they're really acting. I mean, thieves and criminals who don't think of beyond themselves don't, I suppose. But so he has a vision and he wants to achieve it. And why not be in the driver's seat? Yeah. I, I think a lot of conservatives in particular are looking at this as a very positive thing. They're putting a lot of hope in him. Uh, earlier this week, Jack Dorsey said that he trusts Elon Musk and he trusts his intention. Um, again, I don't know that you can know what he meant by that, but that to me is a very disconcerting statement from a guy who we would look at and say, well, you're the guy that broke it. What are you talking about? You know, he's. <clears throat> I have understood for the last few years that Jack has been a little bit of a prisoner of a, of a, in a gilded cage. Mm. Now, you have to be really careful when you describe somebody that way because being a prisoner, you know, wearing golden handcuffs, as they say, you know, in Wall Street, I can't afford to not make a million dollars a year or 25 million or whatever the number yeah. is, or in his case, billions. <clears throat> no, what it means is that you'd rather have the money than follow through on your principles. Mm. So if this stuff was bothering Jack, obviously he could have walked away from it. But he was clearly a conflicted man. You could see it in his public appearances. You could see it in his eyes in any photograph over the last few years. He looked actually like he was the one who was being held prisoner. Um, I think that, I mean, I really have it on authority of people who know him, and I'm not one, that he isn't, he's never been the driving force of the censorship, the censorship of Twitter. And that that was something that was just naturally going to happen based on who comes into the business and how woke culture and woke economics and woke influencing and woke um, politics are so all-encompassing. And as Twitter became more important, it had to become more woke as long as its leadership, meaning both management and ownership, had to respond to constituencies that were major stakeholders in its success. The thing about Elon Musk is that he, he won't have to do that. He only has to do is keep users. And, you know, the handful of high-profile media types who are, yeah. you know, threatening to quit are not impressing or moving anyone. So, you know, what do I think? Are conservatives worried that Jack trusts Elon? Well, that's a you know that's a nice contrary like that's a good way to write and have an article to write for you know one of these many fantastic <laughs> conservative blogs. I'm all in favor of that. You know, give it the spin and keep the pressure on the guy. But if you look at his statements consistently, it's hard to imagine him setting himself up for such a reversal. He is making really 
um, unconditional statements about free speech. Yeah. Not always necessarily using the right nomenclature. I mean, he's mm. he's not a lawyer. He's not a constitutional scholar. He's not even originally an American. Right. And so a lot of the, the vocabulary that comes natural to someone like me who works in the field is going to come naturally to him. <clears throat> but I, you know, when I read those statements from from uh, Jack, I tend to think of it more as, you know, will will the real Jack stand up? Sure, right, right. Who is he? Was he right. really? Um, right. I but I, I you know I take him at I take him I, I take him at his word, and I also take Musk at his word. It's a lot like as you pointed out in one of your earliest questions. Why go through all this? Yeah. Why go through all this? That's a lot of money to drop just to continue the. So then oh, the answer was, well, Ron, he's going to continue the same, you know, wicked policies, but now he's going to control the world. Mm. Yeah. You know, then he will have spent a lot of money for a company whose stock was actually really falling. If the appreciation of the property declines, He's going to have to pay back a lot of money. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, he can yeah. like he can pay it, but it doesn't seem like a very rational thing yeah. to do. Conservatives do tend to be pessimists and worry warts, and I might be a little bit too inclined towards optimism for my own good. I do think Musk means what he says. Yeah, I don't think he's. I wouldn't think you know he's going to be um, nominated for the next. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what's. I think my metaphor just died on the vine. But <laughs> he, he, he's not Milton Friedman, okay? Right, he's right. not. He, he's not a great <laughs> conservative thinker. He's just a guy with money. He's a guy with money, but he, he but he has the common sense to recognize. And I do think, from a purely commercial point of view, you were able. This was again, as I, I some number of my podcast guests, I have pressed this issue. Why? Do media companies and companies that depend so much on image, why are they so dedicated to promoting images and concepts that are so ugly and it would seem to be so bad for business? And I've gotten, you know, lots of different answers, but I would say that if I had $250 billion and I could say, hey, well, here's a, here's a company with incredible influence mm. and a, an incredibly visually and message-oriented enterprise that touches so much of life in this country and around the world. If I could make it work better and make it actually more economically rational than it is now, yep. I might want to give that a try. So in order to do that, and this is, you mentioned the, uh, the weeping and gnashing of, te- gnashing of teeth that's happening over at Twitter. Um, in order to accomplish that, what is he going to have to do? What do you anticipate? And the deal's not closed. I mean, it's not a done deal, right. but let's assume yeah. that it does finish. He does get control. He does take it private. What are his first 90 days going to look like? He is going to <clears throat> definitely, well, first of all, what's fascinating is that the not done deal has already everyone on Twitter knows it's different. It's already mm, different. Yep. It's you can breathe fresh air. Interesting. 
people are who have been banned or mm-hmm. quietly creeping back on. Um, my follower count has grown the way it used to grow before I got right under somebody's skin. Uh, I mean, it's it's already it's already different. What will he do to build on this? It, listen, if I knew how to manage businesses, I wouldn't be billing by the hour. But <laughs> what I would what I would expect, though, yeah. as a, as a, as an interested observer, is he'll bring in like minded professionals who, who, and maybe even keep a try to find a way to keep people who might already be part of the Twitter success, or to the extent that you regard it as a success. Uh, find, a, find, a, oh, find a way to incentivize them. One of the things that I rec- have recommended um, that CloudHub do, and it's partially my fault that that it hasn't happened yet, although it, I don't think it's really been necessary either. But if I were at Twitter, if I were running Twitter, I would set up a, a sort of board to supervise mm. moderation policy. Yeah. One of the things we're learning is that a lot of the moderation – and that is really a euphemism. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the censorship yeah. was really being done far far below the management level by very immature, very motivated, very political and very young people. Right. I would try to put together a board of speech, you know, free speech advocates from across the political spectrum. <clears throat> I would include Ron Coleman on that board. Mm. Or I would try to, but <laughs> then he would say, well, I have some conflicts because right. there's outstanding litigation. Say, Ron, we can take care of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would be a fascinating project to be involved with. Because um, I do think moderation is necessary for any environment because of the way Nazis and also you know, Antifa types sure, and Ber- Bernie Bros ruin any environment. They listen. You can take any beautiful place, like, like San Francisco, just start crapping on yeah, the ground. Right, right, right. That's you know. So, but try yeah. to get a representative board, and not that they're going to do it, or not that, they're gonna, but but rather that they're they're accountable. We have their names. One of the problems with Twitter has always been that I can't tell you how many hundreds of times people have asked me to help them with a with a you know, a suspension. And I said, I got news for you. Even if I was with the biggest law firm in America, which I'm not, but even, you know, no matter who, who the lawyer is, lawyers letters to Twitter don't matter because there's, there's no accountability there. There's, they just don't operate that way. And if they would turn the company into something more like a traditional, by the way, you know, technology people know that, we really began this era of products and services that consumers had no possible expectation or were taught to have no possible expectation of um, customer support or of accountability to be able, you know, to be able to complain to, you know, to, to a manager pretty much with the beginning of personal computing. Mm. I would say, you know, Apple and, and, you know, when people started, this whole idea that you have this, um, 
uh, non, you know, that you, you buy software from Microsoft, you know, Windows 10, Windows 11, or Windows 95, whatever it was in the day, and you've got it, you're on your own. Yes. You can go to a forum, and this really became a, gigant, a business model for electronic goods. Mm. And interestingly, even though so much of the hard goods world has become electronic in terms of distribution and sales, when you buy something from an online retailer, you usually still have a good expectation of being able to contact a person and say, hey, here's, here's my problem with, with your you know, the widget you sold me, or how do you fix it? Or how do you, which side is up? Now, um, I don't think it's necessarily possible to do that when you have a hundred million, you know, or billion person uh, user base. But I would try to move more toward a traditional service yeah. orientation. Right. And, and also treat... You know what they say, I'm sure you've had it said a million times here, and I'm sure you've said it a million times yourself. If you're not paying, yeah. you're not the, use, the, the right. customer, you're the product. Right, right. It would really be revolutionary, and it's utterly doable, to find a way to turn Twitter users into customers. Mm. And to acknowledge that when you sign a term of use, I, I had the, uh, you know, on the Laura Loomer a case, I had a judge in Florida say, well, you're not a customer. You have no economic, you, you, you can't, you know, there's no business relationship between Laura Loomer and Twitter. What are you talking about? She had to sign, she had to sign a contract. Yeah. Twitter is now trying to enforce its interpretation of the terms of that contract. What, what could be more of a business relationship? Well, it's free. That's no. Right. That's and the fact is, if you know, if 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 Pfizer pulled up in front of your house and said, "Listen, we want to test a whole bunch of drugs on you. Not only is it free, we'll pay you ten bucks." They would have no accountability for what the harm they did right. to you. The point is, the fact that you don't pay for something, or even that you get paid for something, doesn't mean that you don't that, that there is no consumer relationship and that you don't have rights as a human being right. under American law. Right. So that, that I would look at that. We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking, a lot of guys end up losing hope. Someone will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD. You know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know it. they're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope, and that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like, I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. 
I remember talking to a licensed uh, social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went. I'm glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Coming, coming into the world in which you uh, operate, what does this do to, um, I won't say the First Amendment, I think the First Amendment is fine, but what does it do to our execution of the First Amendment on technology platforms? Last time we talked, we talked about Section 230, we talked about regulation, we talked about new platforms you know, like CloudHub and Getter and some of these others. Um, will this stir things up enough that, I don't know, will it change anything? Will this change even our conversation about these things? Absolutely, it already has. It already has. Um, it, I mean, for one thing, it cut the heart out of uh, Truth Social yeah. more than anyone else, I think. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to, hey, look, if Truth Social is, oh, you've always had to, I, I have an account there, why wouldn't I? But the idea of Truth Social as being, the place where you're going to make your stand, that's for people who are really, really committed to the Trump stuff, to the Trump, yep. I don't want to call it a cult, but the... The brand. The the, the brand and the man, yep. in, you know, in all his... And he's a client of our firm, and we respect him and value him very much. And I and I bled for him for, as a volunteer, okay, in 2020. Believe me, I've been there, but... Twitter is where the conversation takes place. So Trump was put in a very awkward position. I think he made the right call for now, which is, no, I'm going to stick with Truth Social. Unfortunately, he hasn't really appeared on Truth Social yet, yeah. even before this yeah. happened. So from a purely business point of view, that's, that's one thing. I mean, it is fascinating to see people talking about, this is crazy. How can, just, how can a billionaire just decide... <laughs> I mean, the lack of self-awareness is mind-boggling. Yes. I, so, but, but will that lack of self-awareness enable regulation to take place that never took place before? Well, they'll try it. They certainly will. Um, here's the thing. If in my fantasy world where basically, um, Uh, Musk takes over Twitter and throws open the files uh, and says, hey, you know, here's what was going on. Here's what we found out. We're mm. going to settle all our lawsuits. Mm. Okay, so Ron Coleman can, can, can <laughs> resolve all his, all, all his conflicts and we can, you know, move on with incorporating him into, into our... <laughs> you will but, be on the board, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that if if we find out what was going on there and how crooked it was, we will the, 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 there will be a tremendous benefit for the entire endeavor of social media 
for the way we look at regulation or lack of regulation, but, you know, before anything gets done in terms of new regulation or changing Section 230, let's find out how it how the privileges that were asserted by Twitter hmm. and the judges gave a preposterous amount of deference to far beyond far beyond the appropriate level. Let's see how it was abused. Yeah. By find, by looking under the hood and finding out how it was abused, I think we will learn a tremendous amount. Uh, so right now I would, you know, I, I that would be my argument regarding future regulation. The idea that we were fine with it until last week, but that now, we're, you know, now we're interested in regulation is not only transparently cynical, but it also is just dumb, you know, from the most neutral point of view. But Ron, you were against it. You were you were in favor of more regulation before. Why aren't you? No, I'm in, I'm in favor of the same changes that I suggested then, which was to, to have a consumer protection orientation in framing how we look at regulation of social media like any other business. Yeah. But now we have an opportunity that we thought we would never get, which is to, as I say, look under the hood, find out what's making that knocking sound. Yeah. And, you know, maybe all we need is, uh, you know, higher octane gasoline. I don't know. What does this do to... Um... Bad metaphor when talking yeah. about Tesla, I guess. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of metaphors. What, what does this do to some of the alternate platforms? I won't name them because... Um, there may be a conflict, but what one of my one of my hard hard times or hardships with the other platforms, and I'm on I think all of them. I, I really like Cloud Hub, by the way, and um, I like Getter for different reasons. Um, I got an email yesterday from Parlor. I forgot I was a Parlor user until I got the email yesterday, <laughs> and it said, "I, ha- hey, I haven't. Be I have en- not looked at. <laughs> be encouraged. We're not going to quit what we're doing. This doesn't change anything." It's got to change some things. What impact will this have on these other platforms? Does it make them irrelevant, or is it just we need to keep doing what we're doing? Look, the problem with Parler and Getter and CloudHub has always been if there's no um, tension, yep. if, there's, if the biggest source of tension is Trump or DeSantis, right. <laughs> that's not an interesting conversation. Yeah, right, right. Even if you say, well, Ron, they can't, you know, fine. I'll spot you that Twitter is the central conversation. It's the it's really where things are happening. Uh, but aren't there other forums that can be useful play? Yeah, there can be. But if you just want to hear the same people using the same yep. memes and this, you know, it's gonna. It's just not going to be a lot of fun. Now, I say that as someone who probably takes a little bit too much pleasure in dunking on people. On, and well, you, you are know, you are an attorney. You get paid to dunk on people. <laughs> well, but not on Twitter, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do demonstrate by doing that on Twitter is that I understand the medium and I understand the, the value of polemics on on mm. you know online and off. Uh, I think we need to see how things yeah how things go yeah i mean i mean for example you know if you're a fan of you know there's certain people who have made their homes on, on various platforms and that's where you'll find them yep and it might make you know i, I mean what we really want to see i think is more um interchangeability <coughs> and transparency 
so that you can have an experience. I mean, coming from that, uh, there's there might be a convergence of two things that are going on. One is that if there's less this sense that Twitter is the forbidden kingdom and everyone else is MAGA world, mm. but rather there's sort of a you know a softening of the edges of Twitter and you know maybe more MAGA people feel more comfortable going to Twitter. So I, or whatever the case may be, on the one hand, on the other hand, there have been a lot of people, many of whom I know, who have been working for years on truly portable, um, independent, small node oriented social media where you own your data all the time right. and no one else controls it. And in theory, you could unhook from this one and, screw into with that. So if those two concepts develop mm, and yeah. and um, move closer to each other, there's a word for moving closer to each other. What's it called? It's two things. Converging. Converge, yes. If those two things converge, then what you, so, the, you know, then what are you going to sell on? Then how are your products going to differentiate? Right. Features, monetization, user interface, there are lots of ways where you could still have different yeah. brands because um, they're, you know, they're not, they're not all going to be the same. And you know, it's amazing how as, as a, something of an insider, I have observed cloud hub adjusting its, you know, its user interface and its business model and it's, you know, it's technology and it's reliance on, you know, on outside servers and things like that. So, yeah, it's all it's all good as long as you know I mean, as long as the government doesn't come along and, and screw things up, which I think from what I'm hearing today they're trying to do, but I don't think it's going to work. Last question: um, Will this impact the either midterms or the presidential election? This move, uh, it, you know, see, so you said your Twitter following has has grown the way that it used to. It's interesting. Just for our organization, we have a pretty large social following. And Instagram has throttled just about everything that we've done until like this week. And now there's this organic growth and these things are happening. Um, will this impact the midterms? What impact will it have? Or will it not impact anything until the general election? Oh, no, it'll have a tremendous impact. Because right now, there's just such a, more, such a greater level of consciousness over the censorship thing. Mm. And, and the censorship is easing easing back. Yeah, And... What happened in the run-up to the elections was completely predictable. Censorship was pumped up. Um, influential people on the right were banned or shadow banned. And that, it would surprise me very much if that were to happen now. Mm. And if it were to happen, I think the reaction would be more, like, you know, people are more in tune with what's going on. So I, this is a very, very good political development for the Republicans, and which means that no one but the Republicans can screw it up. <laughs> well, they have and a long a, history of doing that, so we're in right. trouble. That's right. Oh man, Ron, where can uh, where can people follow you, listen to your podcast, and learn more about you? If you go to Ron Coleman on Twitter, R O N C O L E M A N, like my name, on the bottom with an ampersand in the front. Um, you know, I'm Twitter is my main place. Ron uh, Coleman Nation is the name of my podcast. If you look for the Ron Coleman Coleman Nation podcast on any search engine, I'm on all of the platforms, both in video and audio form. 
Otherwise, you know, I try to get some legal work done. And uh, often I do yeah. here in uh, Newark. And uh, I also practice in New York and across the country with my partner, Harmeet Dillon. So it's real, real nice to make acquaintance to all your, your listeners and, and uh, viewers. And I hope that uh, we'll have a chance to talk again soon. Another great conversation with Ron Coleman. Man, again, so thankful for the work that he and his uh, law firm are doing. And uh, it, it's very difficult to find someone who has an actual <laughs> a clear understanding of this world. And Ron is one of those. Very grateful for him. And appreciate you uh, watching. I hope this is an episode you will share out with the folks in your life that also need to understand this. This is a cultural issue that has tremendous implications, not just politically, not just even globally, but to us personally. And uh, I know this will be a help to those that you care about. Make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. If you're not, whatever platform you're listening from right now, go ahead and subscribe. Or if you like the video, jump over to SalemNow.com and you can find this and every episode we have produced. Thank you for joining. We will talk to you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.